0: Number two, the Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete. This is the show. You are in it. It's right, it's happening right now, all around you. 704 570 1110 1800 WBT 1110. The email is Pete at the com and on Twitter at Pete Uh, And uh, regarding the uh, Twitter uh, topic from last hour, uh, I got a message from Jason uh, who said, uh, bingo, bingo, bingo! The answer to bad speech is more speech. I think that was your quote, and you are so right. Uh, also, did you know that the lady who was in charge of censorship at Twitter made seventeen million dollars a year? How is no one talking about that? <laughs> right? Yeah, she got a ten million dollar raise. She got fired yesterday, but she got a ten million dollar raise last year. That's like, uh, yeah, that's like uh, radio host money right there. Valley. No, no, okay, no. That's yes, yeah, so she's gone. Uh, so is the CEO, and um, she'll be all right. Seventeen million dollar payday. Yeah, that's it's not bad. I've heard some people say, "Well, that's pretty normal for the uh, uh, for the tech industry." Okay, yeah. Her job was to uh, was to do the censoring. That was her department. So um, now, for all of us that don't make the seventeen million dollars, this might. be... Might be a little bit of bad news. Um, all Joe Biden and his team had to do when they got into office with the economy was nothing. It's all they had to do. Just don't just don't do anything. Right. Allow people to go back to work. Pandemic was ending. Right. And then the economy would come back. But Biden couldn't do it. Nick Arama over at Red State, or is it Arama? But it sounds like, I should say it, Nicarama. Doesn't it sound like that? Like a kid's show from the 80s or something. Anyway, um, he destroyed the border protections that Trump had imposed. He attacked the energy in his industry from the first day he got in. He spent like a drunken sailor contributing to inflation with things like the American Rescue Plan. Now, Oh, and by the way, I was talking, um, every Friday I joined KCO Day on his, uh, show, uh, his morning show up in Raleigh in Greensboro. And this morning we were talking about... Uh, this this talking point has gone out uh, among Democrats, and I understand, I mean, look, it's not a good talking point, but I also recognize that there really isn't anything better to say, <laughs> right? Uh, they're having to defend something that's almost indefensible, uh, and that is the inflationary impact of their agenda, and, and that's driven by the government spending. And there's this talking point that they have pushed out about uh, how this is a global Phenomena. So inflation is global, and look, we're actually in a much better uh, position than all of these other countries that are suffering from inflation. But yes, it's a global phenomena. but as Casey was saying today, that the, the dollar is the reserve currency. And so a lot of foreign countries, they sit on U.S. dollars. They buy them up. They have them. This is why and you go to a lot of foreign countries, and they take American dollars. That's the world reserve currency. And they will use that in order to shore up their currency when they inflate it into oblivion and destroy it themselves. So yes, it's all connected. And so the inflationary pressures that we have exerted on our monetary supply has impact throughout the world. And Milton Friedman went over this um, years ago, Nobel Prize winning economist, Milton Friedman, old Uncle Milt. And he used to go around and do Q&As and stuff on college campuses and on television stations and stuff. And um, one of the best ones was on uh, the Donahue show, the old Phil Donahue show. But he was – I saw a clip today because this is now making the rounds on, oh, it's global inflation and all this. And he was asked a question about the cause of inflation. He said there is only one cause of inflation, and that is the printing of government money. That's it. That is it. You print more money and you get inflation. And he said, yes, it's the government that does that, but it is us. It is we, the people who vote for the people and the agenda. So we're to blame, right? The American public is to blame because we expect our politicians to make promises for programs and services to pay for things. And we don't want to pay for them. And so what do we, we just turn a blind eye to the worrying of the printing presses And then we pay higher costs for everything through inflation, which is the tax that we wanted to avoid. Inflation is a hidden tax. We are paying for the things that we did not want to pay for. This idea that, oh, you won't pay for all of these trillions of dollars in new spending. It's fantasy. We are paying for it. And the people at the lowest end of the economic ladder, they pay the most. It takes a bigger bite out of their budget than it does the guys at the very top. Economy is not doing very well. 40-year record inflation, stock market tanking. Um, Nick Arama says, so many people just had their 401k and other savings wiped out. I've The last time I looked, mine was down uh, a quarter, 25% down. And it's been a couple weeks since I looked at it. I'm sure it's still tanking. And for people who are getting ready to retire right now, This is awful. Now, hopefully you've moved your money into conservative vehicles, but even those are losing value. We know it's costing all of us because of how much more we spend every time we go to the grocery store. You buy food or any other necessities. People are spending on credit. They're draining their savings. You got higher interest rates as well. You can thank Biden for that as well. Um, According to a survey from the Heritage Foundation, the average American has lost More than $4,000 in annual income since Biden took office. Folks over at twitchy.com observed that if you judged the midterms by how disturbed people were over their 401ks and their life savings being wiped out, Democrats are in real trouble. By contrast, according to Heritage under Donald Trump, Americans increased their annual earnings by $4,000. So it's been an $8,000 swing. Oh, Um, And uh, bad news here, Uh, those were the stats from a month ago. It hasn't gotten better. Remember the first thing Biden did when he got into office? Right, he went after energy production. Energy makes our economy go. It's literally the energy upon which we operate. All of the things, I saw some, somebody was promoting some uh, breaking news yesterday. They were like, breakthrough on some uh, technology. We have this, what was it? I think it was a car or a charging, maybe it was a charging station. Yeah, I think it was a, ch- yeah, like a super fast charging station. You'll be able to get a full charge into your electric vehicle in 20 to 60 minutes. 20 to 60 minutes. So 20 minutes is the low end of that? I can get a full charge in a battery in 20 minutes. That's how long it takes me to, quote, fill up my car? 20 minutes? That's a long time. That's not like, hey, I need to pull over to the side of the road and hit this EV charging station and hope nobody's at it, right? But also, where is the, where's the charge coming from? <laughs> What's generating that electricity? It's because it's not the little pump-looking thing, right? It's It's not coming out of that. I mean, that's the, that's the source where I connect to it. But there's a line on the other side. It goes to somewhere else, like a power plant that's creating that energy. Where where does that go? What, what energy is, is being generated at that plant? It has long been the policy of the Democratic Party to frustrate the expansion of the oil and gas industry wherever legally possible. The editors at the uh, Washington Examiner with a piece, End Biden's Epic and Unprecedented Suppression of Oil and Gas Leases. According to a Wall Street Journal analysis of the Interior Department data, President Joe Biden has leased fewer acres of federal land for oil and gas production than any other president going all the way back to the Kennedy era. Thanks mostly to the illegal refusal by his appointees to hold mandatory lease sales, Biden has allowed the lease of only about 130,000 federal acres for drilling in the last 19 months. In other words, back when Biden was struggling to make that phrase, remember Putin's price hike when he was trying to make that stick? His administration was working actively to keep the price of gasoline high. Total oil and gas leases for the first 19 months of the Trump presidency, you know what that was by comparison? Biden's was 130,000 acres. Trump's was 4.4 million. Barack Obama's first 19 months in office, he leased 7.25 million acres. Bill Clinton leased 9.7 million acres. Jimmy Carter leased 11.8 million acres. Although his actions are illegal, Biden is fulfilling a campaign promise, right? He said he would end drilling on federal lands and he wants to force a transition to so-called clean energy. How do you do that? You make traditional energy ex- uh, too expensive, right? Instead of playing a dishonest game of hide the ball with rhetoric about how many acres are already available, Biden should stop dragging his feet on issuing all the permits required to make full use of the leases. Now, there's a criticism from the left and they say, oh, well, it's not like you could just say, okay, lease approved, and then our gas prices come down. That's true. That's true. It's not immediate. But any oil or gas discovered today is not going to be available instantly, but oil and gas are bought and sold through futures contracts. And those contracts do take into account beliefs within the market about both short-term and long-term supply. The only way to be prepared for the future is to start now. Who's Mike? Oh, sorry. Oh, I got you. <laughs> News Talk eleven ten ninety nine three WBT one zero eleven ten one eight hundred WBT eleven ten. Let's go over here and get Jerry on the program. Hello, Jerry. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey Pete. Hey. I'm feeling better and you're back.
0: Yes, thank I, you.
1: I heard you. Yes, I heard you talking about energy just now, and I have to admit, I, I've been. Seeing headlines pop up about diesel shortages, yeah, but it's like too terrifying. So I'm just living like a you know got an ostrich with my head in the sand, and I'm watching way less broadcast media. So I don't even know are any broadcast like news shows talking about the shortage in diesel because, like you said, it affects our entire economy. And if we thought we saw shortages because of pandemic, man, we run out of diesel. We're gonna be so far up the creek, it's not
0: even going to be funny. Well, luckily, we've got all of that uh, strategic petroleum reserve that we can tap. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I have not seen a lot of coverage of it. I know it's, it's, uh, it's looming, right? I think it's within the next uh, – it's before the end of the year, I think, that they're yeah. saying that the, the sh- shortages are going to start affecting uh, transportation, but I, other than that, I'm not, I, haven't, I haven't seen a lot of coverage of it, no.
1: And I think the thing that worries me is that we've gotten used to shortages because of the pandemic. So everybody's a little bit more blah, like, oh, things will start showing up in the store. No, they're not going
0: to. I wonder how many people are looking forward to it because they think, well, I'll just work from home again. You I'm, know, because I didn't want to go back to the office, and so now this will mean if there's no diesel and they start, you know, rationing gas like they did in the 70s, uh, yeah. then, uh, then oh, I, I can't go to work. Cause, you know, like, I, look, i I got to be honest. I drove to the remote yesterday up to Mallard Creek Barbecue, and I'm thinking, man, I'm sitting in this line of cars, and I'm burning gas, and I'm thinking, like, is this is this what people are going to be willing to do? We start getting shortages again.
1: No, but I have to tell you, I don't. I don't know of any business that isn't working on at least some sort of a hybrid. Yeah. Uh, so, I I don't know.
0: Yeah. Thanks for the yeah, Jerry. I appreciate the call. Thank you. It's a, no, it's it's a scary um, it's a scary story that is out there for the reasons that she mentioned. It's yeah. There's this idea that um, the diesel fuel supplies are uh, are running down, and we're not going to have enough uh, oil to offset or to cushion this blow because it's being tapped right now to help Democrats in the election. I mean to bring down gas prices to help Democrats in the election. Um, Have you seen these people running around gluing their hands to things, usually after they've thrown some form of food on priceless paintings? Have you seen these idiots? There was a guy I saw this one. Um, it was either last night or this morning I saw it. Some idiot was on some I wanna, I don't, it, Danish maybe, or Finland or one of those countries. you know, they talk weird. And, um, and they were on the, they were having this, and they have weird they have weird like fashion sense. well, not fashion. interior design. It was just like a TV studio, and they're all at some table. And, you know, the chairs are weird colors, and, and it just always remind. like, I see these shows, and it always reminds me, like, I'm thinking, like, am I watching a show from, like, the 70s here? And then they start talking, and I'm like, oh, no, they're Scandinavian. That's, like, all of their stuff looks like, you know, like the oranges and browns, oh, that whole, that color scheme, you know what I'm talking about. It's Like, the Partridge family kind of look. Anyway, so the... They're in the middle of this conversation. They're at some big round table. They're having a conversation on television. I don't understand anything they're talking about, but as I understood it, they were talking about the environment. And one of the guys at the table, so one of the talking head guys brought in as the representative of, I guess, the environmentalist crowd, he gets up onto the table, crosses his legs, sits down, and then takes out a little tube of glue, glue, puts it on, rubs it on his hands like lotion, and then puts it on the table. Boom. And he slaps his hands down on the table and he glues his hands to the table. So he's sitting in the, like sitting in the middle of the table like 2 feet from the face of the host of the show. Who's just watching him and they just let him do it. I don't know why they just let him do it. But he does it and eventually then they get a whole bunch of their uh people to come out and they lift the table top. Apparently it's a separate top, which was weird. I, it was a whole it, uh, it was just it was a top sitting on The table, they lift that and they start walking it off the stage. And as they're walking it off the stage, they get it all the way off stage. And as they go to set it down, they lose balance. And it tips over. Now the guy is still sitting on the table, the tabletop. And now that this tabletop has now tilted off to the side and he falls off the table. But he wasn't injured. How did this happen? It wasn't glue. Guy was a liar. It was a stunt. It wasn't even glue. I made this same point when I saw one of these idiots stick his hand in some quick-crete concrete on on a sidewalk protesting climate change or something and there was a cop chiseling away around his hand to try to free him. And my question at the time was, why? Why is that on? Why is that the cop's job? Why is it on the cop or any public service employee? Why is it on the government or anybody to free somebody who does that to themselves? They should just ask some friends to free them or family members, get somebody to help them out. Right? Why? Why is that on? Somebody wants to glue their hands to the floor of a museum. Okay, well, good luck. You're now art. You're Really? People are going to come. They're going to look at this tomato soup uh, masterpiece that you uh, threw soup all over, and you're going to be standing right there. You're part of the exhibit now. Yeah, what, what, what is it called? Performance art, right? Yeah, like a living, breathing performance art exhibit. That's You're now there. You might want to have some people bring you food. In some form, but not real food. Like I guess like an IV or something, because we don't allow eating in the museum. Thank you very much. Good luck on going to the bathroom. So maybe actually don't eat or drink anything, because it's going to be kind of difficult when you have to use the restroom. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. An entire team of data engineers have been let go at Twitter. I don't rejoice in people losing their jobs. (laughs) I work in radio. That would be poor form. (laughs) But it is apparently starting to happen. The era of Musk has begun. Hello, Harry. Welcome to the program.
2: Oh, thanks. Good program.
0: Thank you, sir. What's and, going on? Uh,
2: just a comment. A lot of people have been calling in to talk shows that I travel, listen to, seemingly intelligent, saying, why do we blame President Biden for the problems of the economy in the world? Other countries all over the world are having similar problems. Well, it all, it's all oil. All. If oil goes up here, it doubles in the Philippines or Cairo or anywhere else. And uh, it's just, when the U.S. coughs, the world catches pneumonia. We're just that big a country.
0: Yeah, and the reserve currency, right, is ours. And so people use our currency as the backstop. And that has implications as well. And when we were, like under Trump, we became a net exporter of energy. To your point, that means other countries get to enjoy lower prices for their energy as well. And now that we're not an exporter, we're now an importer of energy again. That means we're competing with those other countries, and that means you know more uh, more demand, less supply, right? Prices go up.
2: And another point regarding the world temperature is going up. Biden was cutting oil here so we could save the world. Right? We're just bringing oil from somewhere else and burning it. We're all burning
0: the same amount of oil. Well, I think if you buy the oil from Saudi Arabia uh Mother Earth doesn't know that, and so she doesn't uh, heat up the same way. Ah, uh, right. same
2: for Venezuela and Russia, I guess.
0: Right, exactly. It's only oil from certain countries. If we make our own oil, then yes. If we make our own oil and we drill for it here and we refine it here, if we do that, or nuclear as well, as I understand it, if we do that ourselves here, then uh, that makes Gaia Earth very upset. So I think that's the rule. Harry, I appreciate the call. Yeah. Um, it's all about energy. This is I came across this um, this piece by Michael Schellenberger. The guy who wrote San Francisco and uh, I think he's running for governor as well. Um, he has a Substack that he writes on. Self-publishes as uh, essentially blog, right? And he sent out a tweet the other day it said when people stop believing in traditional religions, they face the crisis of Nihilism or nihilism, which is the idea that life has no purpose. I would submit this is at the heart of so much of what is wrong with our society in America. We're seeing this manifest itself in different ways. Faced with the the depressing thought that life has no purpose, people have started creating other things instead. And one of them is this apocalyptic environmentalism, which seeks to destroy the basis of modern life. So progressives say that by restricting fossil energy production, they're defending civilization from climate change, right? They say that causes the heat waves, causes the droughts. It causes all the flooding. President Biden and Canadian prime minister, Justin Trudeau, a.k.a. blackface, they refused to significantly expand natural gas production to aid energy-hungry allies in Europe. The European Commission rejected a plan to help poor countries build fertilizer factories to overcome food shortages. And California banned the sale of gasoline-powered cars and trucks by the year 2035. And you just heard in our newscasts that Europe just did the very same thing. And yet, Each of those policies risks undermining civilization far more than climate change. Like, what exactly are you trying to preserve? Right. If 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 these policies create mass starvation and death, is that better or worse than more heat waves? Does that kill more people? Right. This is the I said this during covid. What's the other side of the ledger? This has always been a question of is the juice worth the squeeze on all of these climate change policies, all of them. Look, I am a I'm an environmentalist. I like a clean environment. When I go camping, I leave the campsite better than I found it. Right. I pack out whatever I brought in and usually pack out more stuff. And yes, well, all right, to be fair, I do burn some wood right on the campfire. And so I am. I'm, I'm causing harm to Gaia Earth. I do recognize that. But I'm picking up some extra trash right, as a replacement. So I hope that evens it out a little bit. But it's always been a question of uh, what is the policy intended to do? And is that going to be enough of a change? And then what is the cost of that in, in, in all terms? like Not just financial cost, but does it reduce people's standard of living? And if it does, does that mean that they have a lower life expectancy? Right? That has to be accounted for as well. That's the other side of the ledger. All of these things have trade-offs. Climate change, Schellenberger says, climate change is real. I agree, by the way. I agree climate change is real. The question is, is man contributing to it? Which, by the way, I would err on the side of caution there and say, yes, probably. Mankind is contributing to some degree. Yeah. But then the next question is, how much? How much is mankind contributing to it? And then the next question is, what are your mitigation efforts going to cost humans? Because you have people that believe in this, as Schellenberger called it, this apocalyptic environmentalism, that the entire world is going to be destroyed because you're driving an SUV that runs on gasoline. That's their belief. And they believe it as much as Christians believe in Jesus. They believe it, and they want us to make sacrifices even if we don't agree with them. So climate change is real. It's something we should limit as much as possible. But there is no increasing trend in U.S. heatwave frequency or magnitude. Flooding in Pakistan actually declined from 81 to 2016, and droughts are not increasing in severity or frequency in Europe. Far scarier are the charts of skyrocketing fertilizer and electricity prices due to Russia's restriction and now the halting of natural gas flows into Europe. Right, all of this all of this changes, right? The 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 cost-benefit analysis changes. Politicians, activists and journalists in the West are doubling down on the same failed policies even though they're undermining their own stated objectives. Greenpeace Germany came out in support of burning more coal rather than keeping the nation's nuclear plants online. That's nuts. That's insane. Germany and Belgium both still intend to shut down their nuclear plants. Why? Why are the people who say they want to save civilization actively undermining it? Environmental trends are improving. I've said this before. When societies, when civilizations become wealthier, their environments get cleaner. They actually get cleaner over time. Yes, when you start cranking up the industry, it gets worse. But over time, when people don't have to worry about, you know, getting food, shelter, clothing. When those sort of those basics of life are taken care of, you can then enjoy other pursuits. And those pursuits tend to be, hey, let's clean up the the towns clean up the city let's let's not live in filth like that that's the stuff that happens when you advance as a society so the question is why do people think things are getting worse if they're actually not getting worse we'll take a stab at that News Talk 1110, 993 WBT. Michael Schellenberger writing at his Substack. The title of the piece was called "Anti-Energy Nihilism" or nihilism. Because so when I say nihilism, it almost sounds like that guy from uh, the Frasier TV show, his younger brother. Anyway, anti-energy nihilism behind economic crisis. There is a belief. It is a it, look. I heard uh, James Lindsay. He of uh, uh, new discourses right James Lindsay talked about this um, and there was apparently a case I need to go research that at some point. The, um, the, apparently the Supreme Court at some point in years past decades ago, they actually examined this question of whether uh, communism was or was not a religion. and I'm just intrigued by that question but and so he mentioned it and he, he referenced some of the the findings and apparently the court said, no, it's not. He disagrees. And I think I do too, but I, but I haven't examined the argument, so I don't want to say. But like my knee-jerk reaction is to say, "Oh yeah, totally," right? <laughs> because it shares some of the very same uh, principles and uh, and concepts. Anyway, so so does environmentalism, especially apocalyptic environmentalism. But it's rooted in this idea that things are getting worse when actually the trends are getting better. Policymakers are pursuing pro-scarcity policies, he says. And it's because they, giving them the benefit of the doubt, they actually believe it, or assuming the worst motive and they're just doing it for power and to win re-election and the like. um, But let's assume that they too believe, along with most of the public, apparently, that the environment is getting worse, not better. If only there was some sort of, I don't know, an industry that could inform people about things that are true and not true? Something like, I, I'm just spitballing here. You know me. I'm all about solutions. And so maybe if somebody could come up with a business model of some kind where you know information gets relayed to people that they could then trust. Just throwing that out there. So. Hey, uh, Stan, welcome to the program. Hello, Stan. How are you?
2: Hi, Pete. Hey. You said something about uh, civilization a while ago what kind of civilization do you do you want, and that kind of thing. And you made an assumption that civilization was all about human beings and the human experience. What the environmentalists believe is that the human beings, in terms of, like, trees, birds, monkeys, the sky, water, the human beings themselves are no better than anything else, and they are just a small part of that.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: that to save the whole thing, we need to... Have less human beings, or not make the world so conducive to human human life, but to the whole thing as a whole. Then, if we got human beings to do that, then so be it. And when you have a, a, a country where the morality and the teaching is based on that, and legislation comes out of that process morally, then you wind up as a society where we are.
0: Yeah. Now, this is why I view it as a religion as well, because it has it has this element of sacrifice for rewards uh in an afterlife of some kind I, and i don't yeah that, that, that's correct yeah it, well and i should point out also it's always a um it's a it's the sacrifice of of others right it, it's not really them i mean because they're not going to you know environmentalists there's not like a wave of uh of of mass suicides occurring among environmentalists right they don't go and and and, and kill themselves that's not happening right but if they really did believe that the earth was going to die because of all of the people, then why wouldn't they do that, right?
2: So, so the only thing we're deciding in this process is who do we sacrifice.
0: Right, and it's going to be somebody else. It's the old joke about, you know, dis, uh, the farm animals and breakfast, where, like, the chicken is a supporter, you know, but the, the pig is, is committed. You know, it's, it's, a different, <laughs> it's a different level of support uh, for the breakfast. Uh, same, same concept at play here. It's
1: like you first.
0: Right, right, right. And then after we get enough people off the planet, then oh, it's sustainable. Look at that. And I oh, and I'm still here. Oh, yay me! I live, I live on a sustainable planet now. Yeah, it's. Hi, uh, yeah. right, buddy. I appreciate the call, Stan. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Um, I mentioned this earlier. This was the the, the soup tossing people. Uh, climate activists believed to be with the group Just Stop Oil. Threw cans of tomato soup on Vincent Van Gogh's sunflowers painting and then glued their hands to the wall. Why didn't they glue their hands to the painting? I'm not I'm not advocating that. But I'm curious if the point here because this is like this is a demonstration, is it not? And if you really think well their message was um, is it worth more than food? What is worth more? Art or life? This is what they're they're screaming. What is worth more? Art or Life. By the way, I saw somebody make this point on Twitter. Um, they said uh, that the these lo- uh, museums that are being attacked by these environmentalist wackos, they are um, they're actually for the public. This is not for billionaires, right? The, the The uber wealthy people they just they just buy their own art. They own this stuff. In, and they put it in their own homes, and then they're the only ones that get to look at it. Well, and they're visitors, and they're, I guess, servants, right? Do you call them servants anymore? They're hired help? I don't know. What's the, what's the, what's the euphemism that, that the billionaires are using nowadays? It doesn't matter. Point is, this is where we, we commoners get to see exquisite masterpieces, you know, or whatever the you know, traveling show is that they think we need to see to make us woke. But these demonstrators are attacking the art pieces in the museums where us commoners get to see this beautiful art. And they're asking this question, what is worth more, art or life? Okay, well then, you answer the question, insane person. Instead of throwing the soup on the painting, which apparently they cleaned up. They were able to clean it up. It did not permanently damage the painting. So you obviously have decided that that painting is worth more. No, because you glued your hand To the wall, not to the painting. If the point here is that art is not worth more than life on this planet, then why not destroy it and really make the point? Oh, because you don't want to suffer the consequences of that. Which is weird, because if we're not on the course to save Gaia Earth and the whole planet is going to be doomed within your lifetime because these are, you know, teenagers that are doing it, then why would you worry about being sent to jail for an extended period of time? Who cares? Right? Cuz the world is going to implode anyway, so why bother? See what I mean? It, it, it the logic never lines up on this stuff for me. That's why I'm just asking the questions. All right, stick around. News is next.
2: you uh-huh.